What's up, Bombshells? Welcome to Bombshell 1111 Podcast, Therapy for Women of Color. My name is Kia, and I'm your host. Generally, podcasts request donations, but I want you to show love by simply subscribing to my social media platforms by visiting my website at www.bombshell1111podcast.com. I want to see thousands of subscribers on this platform. Leave your comments, and I'll show love by shouting you out on my social media platforms, such as Instagram and Facebook. I want to thank you for your continued support as always. And with that being said, let's jump into this new episode. And I'm here with Bombshell 1111 to drop some bombs on anxiety. Thank you so much, you guys, for joining us tonight. Welcome back, Bombshells. I'm Kia, and I'm your host. Tonight, you guys will be talking about panic disorders with my special guest, Renu. So without further ado, you guys, let's jump right into it. Welcome, 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 Renu. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I, I really appreciate you inviting me to your show. And you know what? I just thought about it. I practiced and I still kept your name. It's Reno, and I have it written down. I'm going to get this throughout this podcast tonight, okay? Well, it's French and it's been anglicized, so, you know. <laughs> so thank you again so much for coming on and being a part of the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on tonight again because you are a male coming on the podcast. I don't frequently have a lot of men to come on the podcast, generally women. So again, I'm excited uh, for you to come on tonight. And thank you again. Thank you. Wow, you're welcome. So let's just jump right into it. Um, I do have a your bio down below in the description box, but I would like for you to give a short description of who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Sure. I, I spent 20 years working with uh, anxiety disorders. Uh, Mostly panic disorder, but then a lot of stuff around that, you know, OCD and generalized anxiety disorder, things of that nature. And certainly a lot of the uh, family comes in, and so you get anger and other issues get mixed in with it. But anxiety disorders were the uh, the main thing that I worked with. Uh, and then I retired because practicing here in California gets to be really crazy, and I started teaching psych at a local college and did that for a while. Now I'm just... Uh, Speaking, doing books, got a new book I'm working on and going to be out next year and, uh, you know, talking on shows like this and just spreading the word about the fact that you can get better. Well, you didn't say who you are. Who are you? Who are you? Oh, I'm Renault Purifoy and I'm, I, I was a therapist for 20 years. Yes, and now I'm retired, <laughs> retired from that. Uh, wow. Wow. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, and anyway, so yeah, I, I, it, it's been fun. I mean, I, I grew up interested in animal behavior and studied uh, animal behavior. I was a bio major and came in math minors, which made me kind of an odd uh, therapist, you know, because most of your therapists come out of the, uh, the humanities or, th you know, social yeah. sciences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Quite a, a lot of experience. So again, I'm excited mm -hmm. to, to see what we're going to talk about. So let's just start off right off the bat. For individuals who may not understand or may not know what a panic disorder is, can you please define what exactly is a panic disorder? Sure. It's just people are having panic attacks, and that's a, a panic episode that seems to come out of the blue. Now, everybody listening has had a panic attack sometime in their life. 
For example, when I was driving once, I had this car got T-boned behind me and it was rolling towards me and sideways. And so, you know, I got out of its way <laughs> really quick, but then afterwards, you know, the old adrenaline was pumping. My foot was shaking on the old accelerator for a moment until I calmed down and got moved on. And mm -hmm. if you talk to people and, you know, police, fire, or any other kinds of emergency personnel, they'll say uh, sometimes they'll have a, a, a call where afterwards they got that adrenaline rushing, you know, and just their body is just reviving with it. And of course, in those instances, you know why you're feeling that way. But with a panic attack, it seems to come out of the blue. Your body starts reacting that way for no apparent reason. Now, there is a reason, but it doesn't, it's not obvious at the time. And so because a person has this panic episode, they start watching their body for signs that it might occur again, and they might not be able to control it. And then pretty soon they start noticing little things that sort of resemble it. And pretty soon they're talking themselves into panic attacks. Ooh. Now these that panic attacks don't come out you know there is a reason for them and when you talk to people who've uh, have panic disorder i'll ask them well tell me what was going on in your life uh when the first one started or when you had the first one and they'll usually have a story about how they were going to school and working full-time or some other major stressor stressor or combination of stressors were going on in their life and so their first panic attack was actually a stress reaction but they didn't identify it as such because they usually are fairly competent people, like to do things well, and often kind of ignore their body. <laughs> and so the panic attack was the first indication that they had that they were just really stressed out, but they didn't understand that. And so it kind of takes on a life of its own. And so when you're, when you're talking about panic disorders, let's kind of get um, more in depth in reference to how can an individual identify that they're having, um, that they have a panic disorder? Well, people that are having panic attacks, they know it. Uh, now, the problem becomes is when they start avoiding things because of the anxiety and the panic. Uh, and that's very common. Uh, when I first started practicing, uh, it was a fairly new thing. And so people I was working with had been suffering from it for you know many years. And by the, end, by the time I retired, educational programs like this were fairly common. And so people now understood what it was. And they were coming in after two or three months and... That was nice because that was a fairly, fairly quick fix. Uh, and one of the things I should say is that people who have these panic attacks, they have a slightly different wiring from the normal person or the average person, I should say. You can take uh, any, th any trait that human beings have and you can graph it on what we call a normal curve. So like height, there's a tall people, there are short people, and most of us are somewhere in between those two extremes. And so the reactivity of your nervous system is very similar. People with uh, panic attacks, they tend to have a very reactive nervous system as opposed to somebody on the low end where you got to kind of slap them upside the head to get them to notice something. <laughs> and essentially, it's kind of like a house where the wiring's not quite up to code. And so you plug too many things in that type of a house and the circuit breakers trip. And so with these folks... Uh, basically they've overloaded themselves uh, and sometimes it, it, it's an organic thing you know it could be a medication reaction or something like that I, I dealt with cases like that but for the most part it's people that have uh, again they've got into a very stressful situation in their life their body has reacted with this adrenaline rush uh, that feels like a panic attack or is a panic attack and they don't understand where it's coming from and so that kicks off that internalization that watching the body and the old what ifs what if it's this what if it's that what if you know i can't control it next time what if people see me you know they have just hundreds of those type of thoughts start going on in their head and 
pretty soon it becomes what we call a conditioned response. You know, Pavlov's dogs, you ring the bell while you're giving them some food and they're salivating, and pretty soon you can ring the bell and they'll just start salivating to the sound of the bell. And so in the same sense, once you start avoiding things or associating this anxiety with specific situations, just thinking about it can start to generate that type of a response. And who who are, in reference to um, identity or um, generational-wise, who are all at risk for developing a panic disorder? Oh, well, it pretty much goes to any ethnicity. Uh, women tend to be a little bit more so than men. Um, Sometimes it has to do, you know, with post-pregnancy, you know, when hormonal stuff is kind of uh, out of whack and kind of getting ingested back to normal. Uh, but it's it's pretty universal. And, and again, like I said, women a little bit more so than men. And I guess just because they have a slightly more reactive nervous system than guys. Um, I've dealt with a lot of men with a panic disorder as well. And um, Ren, Ren, no, let me get that correct. Ren, no. Mm-hmm. And just to piggyback off of that question, what are some of the common risk factors or triggers that uh, contribute to panic disorders? Well, again, there's this personality type you get coupled with, again, that type of a reactive body. And again, this reactive body is not a bad thing. And oftentimes it's the trait that's uh, probably one of their best traits because it makes the person more intuitive. Uh, they read people better. They're more sensitive to that, you know, that unspoken body language, the nonverbal cues, and they may not even be consciously aware of it. But it's the thing that their mates, their friends, you know, their kids like about them because they can really tune into people and uh, empathize with them and just notice things. Uh, so that's the good side. You know, the downside is, of course, they can get overloaded more easily. In fact, long-term recovery, that's one of the keys, is to understand that reactions like this, in fact, any emotional reaction uh, or body reaction is often just a message that you've got some business to take care of. Mm. And it was real common for me to have people who've been uh, fine for a year or more and they come back and they'll say, well, you know, uh, I, I've been having some of that anxiety stuff come up again, so what's going on? And so you go through the checklist. And this is something to do whenever you've got anything going on uh, you know, that's out of, out of the ordinary. So the checklist is, okay, how's my relationship going, my primary relationship? How are my kids doing? You know, how's work doing? How about my life goals? Uh, anything unusual in the last week or so? And usually they will say, well, you know, this happened, but it wasn't that big a deal. And so your body's telling you it was a big deal, so you need to deal with it. And that's and that's just the, the wisdom of your emotions. You, you have to keep short accounts, especially if you have a reactive body. If you've got a less reactive body, you can ignore it. And it takes longer for all that stuff to build up inside it to have a reaction. And renew, um, renew. I don't know why I keep saying renew. Um, I, ren- yeah. <laughs> I, I, I answered all kinds of stuff. Out here we have uh, Reno, Nevada, pretty close to where I live. A lot of people just call me Reno. So Reno, yes. Um, is, is a panic disorder a real like mental illness? Um, because, you know, at some point, everyone feels anxious sometimes. Exactly. And, and anxiety is a normal part of life. Uh, anxiety is one of our two responses to a threat. Uh, the other one is anger. And when I talk about uh, anxiety or fear and anger, I'm using them in a very broad sense. Uh, anger can range from irritation to rage. And uh, fear can range from just apprehension to panic. And those are our two natural responses to any kind of a threat. And 
the, which one we do or which one which way we respond has to do with our childhood training the models that we receive plus our belief systems uh, the things that we consider a threat and those things that uh, we feel are manageable will tend to go to the anger side the things that are unmanageable will tend to go to the anxiety fear side mm. so you know and, and that's like i said it's kind of a combination of uh, childhood rearing belief systems training and a little bit of your wiring you know because people do have different personality types mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can can people with panic disorder um lead normal lives oh yeah yeah i don't hundred percent that do yeah. um the thing is, is like i said once they you, you have to go through a desensitization process uh whenever you have a strong conditioned response pattern whether it's a ptsd uh, from war, an accident, uh, from childhood trauma or whatever, a lot of times you have to go through a desensitization process. But once you get that done, um, usually those responses quiet down, except when you're sick and retired or under stress. And sometimes they're, they'll pop their, little, pop their little ugly head up once in a while. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when that happens, it's just a message that you are sick and retired or have some unusual stress in your life. And then you need to deal with whatever that is and then you go back to a, a normal way of reacting again so yeah and i think part of it too for people that have this type of reactive body is just adjusting that you know that's just who i am and because that's who i am i just need to you know watch my stress management a little bit better and when i've got especially boundary issues with relationships that comes up so common especially with women you know they're having issues with their mate uh, or mm-hmm. at work or whatever and uh, instead of dealing with it they just kind of sweep it under the rug and if you got a reactive body that's you know that's deadly because that's going to start generating this free-floating anxiety and in extreme cases panic attacks so wow. it's, it's, so it's it's not anything that's you know dangerous uh, in the sense that uh, it's going to kill you or anything like that although it does make you miserable mm-hmm. and once you learn how to control it and once you learn how to listen to the messages that it brings, then actually it enhances your life. Because prior to it, you were just ignoring stuff and ignoring your body and ignoring issues. And now it's, you recognize that my wiring tells me I can't do that. I have to deal with life as it comes up. And, and Reno, what kinds of anxiety treatments are available and how effective are they? Well, there's a number of things that certainly have medication. And for somebody who's just barely hanging on, a lot of times that can help to stabilize them so you can use the, what we call the cognitive behavioral tools. And if that is a route that somebody goes, then they need to make sure they've got a good diagnosis and somebody who's monitoring it and the medication is doing more help than harm. Although most of the clients that I would see, if they were on medication, I would say, well, just let's not change anything until we get some other tools locked in place. If they weren't on, then I would say, why don't we try to develop some tools and then reevaluate this in a month or so. And usually they wouldn't go on the medication. And, it can, and also for an occasional use, like if I got to take an airplane trip and I only do this once every two, three years or something, you know, taking some Xanax before you get on is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. As far as the, the other tools, the ones that you want to really uh, focus on are what we call cognitive behavioral tools. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's a whole uh, basket full of things. First of all, you need some tools to manage the anxiety symptoms. And so those are things like relaxation response, uh, or you can use like mindfulness or meditation. Uh, I would use a relaxation response, and uh, I had a tape that I would give them. 
and then they, while they listened to it, it would instruct them to put their two fingers and thumb together, and and it basically became what we call cue control relaxation. So when they were out in the field, they could do that movement. It was people wouldn't know they were doing it, and it would help to trigger some of that relaxation. And with practice, uh, it gets pretty effective. I mean, initially, it just maybe takes a little bit of the edge off, but that's enough to kick in your other tools, mm-hmm. like breathing tools, the old combat breathing, where you breathe in through your nose and out your mouth you know slowly to a count of uh, about six or so yeah. uh, that works well uh, to help with some of the hyperventilation symptoms because people when the anxiety starts they tend to overbreathe, and that causes a lot of the lightheadedness and other symptoms that they have and then you need to do some self-talk tools uh, and self-talk uh, has a variety of ways that you use it first of all uh, I, I like people to have a clear understanding of why they're reacting this way this doesn't do anything to change anything, but people waste a lot of time thinking, why is this happening? I don't understand. You know, how, how come I can't control this? And so they need to have a simple one sentence statement. Well, I, you know, I was working full time and I was going to school. My fiance quit. And so I had a stress reaction. So something very clear like that. Mm-hmm. And then you move on to, okay, now what do I do with it? So, uh, understanding that I'm safe because again one of the false beliefs is that something dangerous is happening and so self-talk tools such as this is just adrenaline you know it's not not going to kill me it feels uncomfortable I don't like it but I can function because that's the other fear is I'm not going to be able to function when I have this adrenaline response so it's just adrenaline it's not dangerous and I can still function in fact I would talk to them about this and oftentimes they would have an emergency situation or something where they would take care of it and then they'd have their anxiety attack. Um, which again, during the emergency situation, they had all the drill and running, but they weren't paying attention to it. And that's the next tool, which is externalization. You can't have an anxiety attack if you're completely externalized. It's when you settle down, watch your body and start telling all of the negative things that, um, you know, you start to really exaggerate that anxiety going on in your your body. So those are the, the the basic anxiety tools for just helping to calm you down. The relaxation response, especially cue controlled, is good. Self talk tools, uh, having a clear explanation, externalizing, and breathing. Those types of tools you start with, and then you go out and start practicing things. Now, since a lot of times history from your past gets mixed into all this stuff. Sometimes you got to deal with that. For example, somebody who uh, was raised and they had kind of a core belief of, uh, you know, I don't measure up, something's wrong with me. And maybe they kind of sort of covered that idea up and they're functioning okay. The panic attack will sometimes kind of reactivate that and now now they know that there's something wrong with them, right? right. So sometimes you got to go back and deal with some of the childhood stuff that's, you know, shaped some of their inner core response patterns and core beliefs. Uh, because because they'll sometimes get reanimated and exaggerated by the experience of having panic attacks. And I just throughout this entire podcast, I've heard you several times just speak on addressing childhood traumas and how they contribute to panic disorders. And uh, I think that's just like the number one thing that's connected to any disorder is something with childhood trauma. It seems as if. Um, because I noticed throughout this entire podcast, you, you kept saying that you need to go and, and address those things. Um, so, well, and, and, and it's not not a hundred percent. I mean, I have had people with relatively you know d- 
decent backgrounds develop panic disorder. And of course, those are the ones where it's easiest to get back to a normal, you know, even keel again, because now when they, once they understand what's going on and they use the self-talk tools and some of the relaxation tools and stuff, breathing, yeah. uh, they're, they work fairly effective. And, and it depends upon how limited a person is too. If you got a lot of junk from the past, mm -hmm. it exaggerates everything. If there's not so much, then it's usually not so bad. Got it, got it, got it. So, Ren Reno, thank you so much for um, all of that knowledge and um, those tools in reference to panic disorders. But before we close out the podcast tonight, um, you are very knowledgeable in so many other areas, of course, you're a therapist. Um, but I wanted to spend a few minutes discussing um, one of your current books that you do have that focuses on anger um, okay. a lot of people deal with anger they don't know how to properly deal with anger um, and so I, I would like for you to just for one um, define what is anger um, um, well, we can start there Yeah, we can just start there well anger as I mentioned earlier is one of our, our core responses to threat in fact we have seven uh, emotion circuits in the brain for the seven basic emotions that we have uh, anger and fear are the two two twin sides of the coin uh, for threat and again they get shaped as we develop belief systems and as we interact with the environment uh, as to what is a threat and uh, whether or not I can deal with it because for one person, a threat may be a loss of, uh, oh, maybe maybe I have this belief system that I should understand things. You know, I'm, I'm a man. I, I'm competent. I understand how to do stuff. Okay, I'm working on the car. Uh, gee, I got a part left over. Now I feel inadequate and helpless, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not okay. So I'm going to convert that to anger because it feels better to have adrenaline coursing through my body and feel physically strong than to perceive myself as weak, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's a kind of a way that we use anger sometimes other than when there's a, a external threat like a mountain lion or something like that. It can be a threat to, again, our image of ourselves. Uh, certainly relationship stuff can offer a lot of different threats uh, to people. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, we respond either with anxiety or anger. Now, one of the problems I should say with people with out of control anger is a lot of times they have two things they believe in that are not true. One is I can't help myself. And you'll hear that all the time. They'll say, well, I just can't help myself. In fact, people who misbehave frequently will say that, right? Right. And the truth is, is they can control themselves. If they're in front of the judge or, you know, they're in a situation in front of their boss or something, usually they control themselves pretty well. Right? <laughs> yeah, a few, few, a few don't, they're in prison, right? So, <laughs> uh, but the fact is, is we can control ourselves as adults. We mm -hmm. have that capacity, except for a very small percentage of people that got some genetic stuff going on. But the vast, vast, vast majority of people, they have the ability to control themselves if they choose to. Unfortunately, uh, people often don't choose to exercise that until the law gets involved or there's a divorce proceeding or the job comes in jeopardy or something of that nature, right? Some external force. And the second thing that they do is they tend to minimize the consequences of their anger. Uh, well, so I yelled at the kid. That's no big deal. I mean, kids get yelled at all the time. You know, they'll come up with excuses like that, right? Mm -hmm. And men as well as women. You know, this is not just a man thing. Uh, in fact, it's interesting. The, the, the Needland study down in New Zealand, they followed people from uh, 1972. They're still following this. Uh, everybody born over a year, right? A great longitudinal study. And one of their many controversial things they found is that women can be just as angry and out of control as men 
It's just that men do more damage. And so they have more consequences from a law enforcement perspective. Plus, when law enforcement gets involved, they focus on the men. They don't focus on the women typically. So women can have anger issues as well. And usually it's worse or it's most damaging with kids uh, when kids are involved. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there are consequences. And of course, one of the big consequences if you're angry a lot is nobody wants to be around you. Mm -hmm. Now, let me say the positive side of anger, right? Because it is energy. It's energy and motivation. And whenever you assert yourself or set limits, there is a low-level anger that's driving that behavior. And that's a positive use. And in some cultures and some you know, social situations, anger means control and it means uh, protecting yourself. Right. And so in those situations, you know, having a short fuse, if somebody gets in my face, you're going to be sorry. You know, having that kind of a, a response pattern is very beneficial. Unfortunately, doesn't work well outside of that context, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where sometimes people need to learn to, uh, okay, if I... If I'm not in that situation anymore, these this math, ma manner of responding is not serving me well at all. In fact, it's harming me. Um, yeah, so, th so those are the two big myths that, you, that I run into with anger. And in reference to anger, because you're very knowledgeable on it, you wrote a book about it. What are some steps that you feel um, are beneficial to work towards anger management? And well, again, there's there's two sides to the problem. One are people that are explosive, and the other people are those that that stuff it all the time. Neither one is good. Um, people that are stuff it, they tend to. In fact, in fact, let me let me work it this way. There, there's a continuum. Uh, you can put draw a line, and on one side you have non-assertive behavior, and on the other side you have aggressive behavior. And somewhere in between is assertiveness, right? With non-assertive behavior, basically, I take care of your needs, I ignore mine. With aggressive behavior, I take care of my needs. I don't care about yours. And in between is this assertiveness where we try to come up with some kind of a mutually you know, agreeable or beneficial solution. And there's all kinds of gradations in between those extremes as you go up and down this line, right? And in some situations, getting towards the aggressive side is appropriate. In some situations, moving to the non-assertive is appropriate. So having that full range of behavior is important. Um, and that's something we could we could talk a long long time about. Uh, but maybe to get back to the uh, person who's explosive, since that's probably the thing that needs the most immediate attention. Mm -hmm. When you work with somebody like that, for example, with domestic violence situations, the first thing you need to get them to lock into place is a walkaway strategy. And they just need to uh, learn and practice. When I start to get angry, I need to stop and walk away and cool down before I decide what's going on. When you, when you look at people who manage their emotions well, they do that naturally, right? Something comes up and they sort of just wait for a second, they kind of assess the situation, look inside, make a decision, and then they respond, as opposed to the person who, because of their childhood training, and oftentimes the modeling from parents, they just explode <laughs> without even thinking about it, right? Yeah. So walking away becomes really important. So you walk away and then you decide, okay, why am I angry? And you identify that. Is there a real threat there? And if there is, okay, what can I do to minimize that with the least harm to myself and you know, others? Then probably you'll do something appropriate and probably something in that assertiveness range, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about the kind of the, the middle class type of a culture, right? 
certainly in a lot of parts of the world and a lot of cultures, that's not the case, right? Right. Uh, if I'm in China and I got the secret police all around watching me and stuff, then that may not be the best fact to take. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, so again, this, 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 there are those things we have to consider. It's the context, right? Yeah. But in, in most situations where you're dealing with reasonable people, and that's an important uh, caveat, is if you're dealing with reasonable people, they'll be reasonable back to you. But the reality is there are a lot of non-negotiators. There's a lot of immature person people out there. And so that's a different, whole different ball of wax. Yeah. But let's say I'm dealing with my wife and uh, I tend to be angry with her and explosive. Okay, I walk away. Why am I angry? Okay, I'm angry about this. Is it real? Is it a real threat or is it not? If it's not a real threat, then where is that coming from? Is that because of some some issue inside of me about uh, my self-image or something from my past and then maybe that's an area i need to work on and again mm. if it's a real threat and i need to address that real threat maybe she's doing something that really uh, bothers me so i need to talk to her about it don't need to yell at her and get crazy at her face right right but we, we, <laughs> but we do need to talk about that right mm -hmm. skill that unfortunately a lot of guys don't have are not very skilled at no at all <laughs> um, but that makes much that makes a lot of sense i'm actually gonna practice that um with my kids because you know as, you know as a mom you know sometimes you can have moments where you tend to get upset when kids do certain things um and so yeah, yeah and sometimes they say i tend to yell so i'm gonna try those steps um yeah Keep in mind something I used to do in parenting classes is there are teachable and unteachable moments. Yeah. The kid just breaks his favorite toy and you give him the toy care lecture. That is not a teachable moment. Right. Right. After everything's settled down, you're doing something, you know, that, that's good together. You're, you know, watching TV, you're playing a game, you know, you're, you're getting ready for bed or whatever. That's the teachable time. Driving in the car the next day, you know, turn the radio off and have a mm -hmm. conversation. Yeah, you know, you broke your to toy the other day. Yeah, it's really sad, isn't it? Yeah, and have a conversation about it there when it's teachable. Same thing with other things that you get involved with your kids. Now, I was not perfect at this. I'll let me say that. Uh, because again, when you're sick, hug, retired, those old patterns will come out. Right. And unless you really thought about how you're going to act differently, you will do what your parents did. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's, that's just pretty universal. That, that's the fun thing about the parody classes is people, they would affirm that all over and over. Yeah, but I'm sick, hungry, retired, stressed out. I, I'm there just like my mom or dad talking, you know. Then later on, I'm saying, oh, my gosh, what did I do? Correct. It's so true because even my daughters, they say, Mama, why do you sound like Nana? And I had to think about it like, oh, my God, I do sound like her. Oh, my God. Yeah, so yes. I get it. I get it. I get it. So your, your, your response is, well, who do you think raised me, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. So Now, on, on the positive side, let me say, you know, uh, your parenting skills are kind of like money in the bank, right? When you're doing things well, you're having fun with the kids and you're building that relationship, you're putting money in the bank. When you're acting like Nana, you're taking money out, right? Right, right, exactly, exactly, that's it. Oh my goodness. And, and the other thing, let me leave the listeners with, the key to successful raising kids is relationship. Yeah. If you have a good, strong, positive relationship with your kids, 
that's what's going to carry you through adolescence. I, I mean, know. you can intimidate a little kid, but at some point in time, they learn you can't make me. Mm-hmm. They learn you can't make me. If you don't have that relationship where they buy into you as an advisor and counselor, um, you're in deep doo doo. Yep. 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 100% agree. Totally yeah. agree. Totally agree. So, uh, Ren- Ren- Renault, let's um, take a few minutes here before we close out tonight and tell the audience a little bit about your book and where they can purchase your book on anger uh, management. Yeah, well, all, all my stuff, I have a YouTube channel as well. And the easiest way to access all of that is my website, which is yhyyemotions.com. So if you go to whyemotions.com, you see all the stuff I'm doing. You got links to some interviews. You got links to the YouTube channel, links into the different books. There's audio versions of the anger and anxiety, as well as the uh, uh, paperback versions. I am getting my website redone right now, so uh, but I but, but it should work out fine. Uh, if mm-hmm. if you if you run into problems, just wait a day or two and it'll it'll be fixed. So we're, we're modernizing it a little bit. Some of the uh, the back. Uh, backside of it coding and are you on social media facebook instagram uh i don't do a lot of instagram and facebook for my own mental health that's great that's awesome i i i i I commend you that's awesome that's awesome i i take breaks away from it um yeah yeah, it's really important for your mental health especially yeah Yeah. so i I totally agree um so with with my anxiety clients uh, one of the things i'd always tell them this was back before uh, uh before the internet i would say don't watch evening news if you want, and now now if you want to get your news find a website that aggregates the headlines and you click on the things you're interested in you can read about it spend 30 minutes there no more than that get on with your day uh-huh. keep your head out of media and especially social media if you do a lot of political shows and stuff like that really limit how much time you spend putting your head in all that stuff because it's programming yeah it's just a negative you know yeah stuff yeah programming programming um so just again for the listening audience um for anyone who wants to get connected to you can you just please give them your website address again sure why emotions that's w-h-y why emotions.com and see all my stuff there and um reno is there anything that you feel that i missed that you'd like to share with the listening audience Sure. I mean, if you're struggling, and again, the definition of a disorder or a problem is, is it interfering with your life? You know, there's normal anxiety, but if it's interfering or anger or anything, it's interfering with your life, get help. There's books, you know, like mine and others that are out there uh, that sometimes is enough to get you on the right track. Um, if there's not somebody face-to-face that you can go see, there's all kinds of resources online, you know, internet counseling, things of that nature. Uh, there's different groups and stuff so get some help because uh you can live a better life and before we close out here reno reno oh my gosh reno um do you provide services in person or virtual or what type of services do you provide how do you provide your services well i'm retired now so all all my stuff is either through the uh, youtube channels i've got a lot of things on you know different types of emotions anger anxiety and in the, in the books and stuff that I and some of the free downloads I have at my website so I'm not individually into counseling anymore I'm, I'm enjoying my uh, great granddaughter right now oh, that's the, the best thing ever 
we, we watch her on Mondays and Tuesdays. So. Okay, that's awesome. That's the best thing ever. And you know what? Um, you guys definitely go check out his YouTube channel. There's a lot of great videos on his YouTube channel. Um, I, I did go check that out just so you know, and it's very informative. I think you guys um, will get a lot of information and knowledge and tools from his YouTube channel. So please go check that out, you guys. Um, so again, thank you so much. Reno for coming on and being a part of this podcast. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yes. Um, you shared again, as I told you, you would a lot of knowledge and tools for the listening audience. And I hope that you'll come back on and be a, a guest sometime in the near future. I would love to. Yeah. Thank you so much. And so you guys, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to Reno for joining us. We hope that you were able to hear something beneficial. And with that being said, you guys, thanks for listening. And always remember, you are a bond within your own shell. Peace, love, and light, you guys. Until next time, good night. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Rate, review, and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you're leaving with some valuable information that can help you on your personal journey. Also, check us out on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Bombshell1111 or at Bombshell1111 TV. You can also check out our mental health page, Your Health is Your Wealth, on Facebook, which is a page created to inform and support individuals with mental health and other health conditions. And with that being said, always remember, you guys, you are a bomb within your own shell. And until next time, peace, love, and light.